Hello, and welcome to Celebrate Like a CEO. I am your host, Stefan Whitwell, Austin-based CEO of Whitwell & Company, a nationwide wealth management firm. Every Monday, I bring on some of the brightest and best business owners and CEOs in the country to talk shop, get their insights on how to run a successful business, and importantly, how to succeed without burning out by taking the time to celebrate. Now, let's get to today's show. Today, we have an owner joining us who owns multiple businesses, most of them in the SaaS software space, and his name is Sujin Patel. Sujin is the owner of Mailshake and Ramp Ventures, among others, and he's probably one of the best CEOs and owners that I've spoken with in terms of his ability to balance both his personal life and work life. In addition to being a successful owner, he's also a husband and an engaged father. Let's welcome Sujin Patel. Sujin, it is so good to have you here today. Thanks for making time. I know things are crazy busy, uh, but I've been looking forward to to getting a few minutes with you here and to to pick your brain on some fun fun things. Yeah, my pleasure. Excited to chat with you as well. So uh, I'm going to be asking you about some of your current businesses and things you're doing now, but just for fun, uh, let's go back a few years. If I had met you when you were five years old, and said, hey, Sujin, what do you want to be when you grow up? How might have you have answered? Uh, I wanted to be an astronaut or a fighter jet pilot. So those are the, like my main one and my backup plan. <laughs> well, I, I uh, you know, in some sense, you've done that, at least from the speed standpoint, right? Uh, <laughs> the uh, Ground speed. I need, to, I need to go into air soon. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess when you're driving, you don't want to go. At least I don't want to go into the air. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> the um, well, so you own and run a number of different businesses uh, in the SaaS space, um, buying them, building them, turning them around. Um, how did you get? How did you get into that? Yeah. So uh, you know, I my first uh, successful. Uh, business was a marketing agency. Um, in the in, in the time I was living in the Bay Area, we worked with all sorts of startups and and tech companies and you know all sorts of companies really. And um, I had the, I was kind of lucky enough to work with all different types of business models, um, e-commerce, you know, services. I would you know agencies in the service business. And what I do, what I did realize is I never want to be in the service business. So. The whole time we're building this agency, you know, from zero, I think it took it to about three million to show in revenue. Um, and the whole time I was trying to get out of the agency business by like starting other things. And so I probably started about a dozen or so things, but uh, a lot, most of them failed. One or two kind of, one of them was successful, spun out. It was a publishing company that my partner took over and kind of ran. Uh, another one was like some lead gen businesses. I tried so hard to try start a SaaS business, but I just didn't have the skills um, or just didn't understand what, what, how to build a product. And so, uh, yeah, I saw a lot of different business models and, uh, and the ones that were the most profitable 
the highest ROI for the teams involved were, were software. And it was also, this is about 2009 to 2013, mm. 2010 to 2021, SaaS is like the rocket ship, you know, multiplier just in the industry. So I was like, this is the hottest industry, highest multiples, highest, lowest cogs. Um, why am I not in this space, right? And so, uh, and also the companies that we built the most value for. So that was kind of what I, I, I wanted to get into. And it took me you know, quite some time to actually figure out all the skills and missing pieces to do that. Yeah, sometimes it takes a little bit of trial and error to, to kind of figure out some of those things. And, and I remember grabbing lunch with you not too long ago. And, and uh, um, despite all the crazy challenges out there, it sounds like you guys are doing really, really well. Uh, and I'm sure there's always challenges every day day every week but uh share with us if you would just what's what is going well what where are you guys finding traction and uh um growth these days despite all the challenges out there yeah i mean so it's definitely challenging uh growth i i've shifted my mindset into survival mode so my north star these days is survive adjust adapt mold to whatever is needed to survive the next, you know, 12, 24 months. Um, and every quarter that happens, like we still have growth in there, but you know, sometimes there's some situations where like we were, you know, for Mailshake, one of what our strategy, our, our, our growth plan was really outbound sales, which we are an outbound sales software but our strategy was really to go after some of these larger competitors that are and, and to be cheaper, right? But that doesn't work if people have budget freezes, right? And so, uh, or you know, a lot of times we were dealing with we had a champion that was pushing this our, our sale through internally, and they get laid off. And that doesn't work when that like, that goes away or that happens. And so, you know, we have to switch our approach, or maybe how who we target, and and that might not be a forever thing. But yeah, it's really just adapting to. The kind of what can actually move the needle today. One of the things that my business partner and I are really, really strong at is is really operating a, an efficient business and focusing. Well, we're not our as individuals. I love everything about all. I, I can obsess over all the little minutia details and, and whatever. But what I really love about. Uh, what, how we operate each individual business is we focus on things that can actually help us uh, hit our, our milestones or growth. So uh, to put it in perspective, all of our companies, the simple number is to get, you know, four to five X the number the company from where we acquired it. Um, yep. And, and to give a, uh, you know, five to 10 X return to our investors. And some of those most recent acquisitions, we are the investors, right? So it's like, make sure we have our own, we have a good return. Um, and, and so, you know, really at the end of the day is we measure success on exit value. Um, uh, right. not that we necessarily have to exit, but that is the only thing we do is, are we, so as we do this, it has to be efficiently run, has to be profitable, has to have growth, has to have strategic acquirers in sight. Now we may, we may not ever succeed in getting strategic acquirers, but at least we're targeting them, meaning if we think about what to build or how we position ourselves, uh, who we're, who's buying us, it's, you know, we've got, a, we got a, a buyer in, in sight. So, 
Uh, and then we have to be growing, right? SaaS really is it's it's growth or profitability, and ideally a little a bit of both. Um, and following that rule of forty at the very minimum. So I, I, what I like in hearing that is, um, or what resonates with me, is I see a lot of companies that are um, small, medium-sized companies that uh, are sometimes chasing growth so hard that when you look at their financials, they're a disaster. And actually, they're, they're closer to, especially when you find times like now where uh, money's harder to raise, banks are lending. Uh, or bank lending is significantly tighter, uh, capital constraints. You know, a lot of companies suddenly um, realize how fragile their foundation is. And they, you know, you talk about survival, they're they're two steps away from not being able to survive. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think that sometimes people fear focusing on survival and strengthening that foundation, like somehow you're missing out on that growth. But I think they miss the obvious point that, Look, you've got to stay in business to participate in that growth first and foremost. And um, and I so I just it really resonates with me because I see a lot of people just chase, chase, chase that growth, and their finances get so bad they ultimately uh, lose control of that business. Yeah, and that's it, it's a tough one. I think society and newspapers and media showcase the billionaire. You know, it's so exciting to be a unicorn. Well, you know, yeah, unicorn sounds great on paper, except right. for to grow a unicorn to grow, they got to be three X in unicorn status, right? And so, how do you grow from a billion dollar valuation to three billion dollars? Well, one, it requires growth, and you need capital to grow, and you're going to likely be losing money, and that's fine and dandy. But think about the economics of that. How much? equity do you hold? And so I look at, I try to think about what's tried and true to me. And, you know, I, I think I look at my family, I talk to my wife and I'm like, I think I'll get over the, the headlines. You know, I'd rather have the equity and the cash in the bank. Um, yeah. You know, because a lot of times to get to a billion, you, you liquidate, uh, or you, you raise so much money, like you get diluted, not liquidate. If you're lucky, you can liquidate some of your shares along the way to make some money. But you really dig yourself into this, like, I have to s succeed or I make nothing. And I like options, right? That's yeah. kind of why I run multiple businesses. But, you know, I could, I could live forever and my companies can be cash flow for, for a long time. Now, obviously, technology changes, but I'm, I'm confident if, if I run this business for 10 years with no growth, I'm sure I can keep up at the very least with the times, right? Uh, I can make myself not at least irrelevant, but yeah. So I, I like the options and I, I measure really based off of like revenue, cash, profits. Um, and and keep it simple. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, like I, I'm running a business to have a better outcome for myself, my family and a better life. Um, yeah. I love now, I love... I, I do have a lot of fun running the business and I love working on certain things and problems. But I found early on when I like dug deep that I just like solving problems. So as long as I'm in a role in a function or what I'm, what the business is doing is constantly challenging me. I don't care what the business is. I just want to solve some sort of problem. But what I love more than problems is money. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I, I love that you're saying that too, because I think that sure, money is definitely part of all of our compensation, but um, being able to be clear, at least to yourself, what about it is fun for you, I think makes an enormous difference too in terms of the day-to-day payoff. Um, but I want to go back to something you said. You, you mentioned about you managed towards specific results. Um, and, uh, you know, some people use EOS, some people use OKRs, you know, how do you, uh, or do you, do you have a framework you use or how, how do you go about, you know, goal setting, yeah. planning in your business? Yeah, we use EOS, uh, super, uh, easy to yep. kind of keep up with. Uh, it's not perfect, but it's, it's, it's good enough. Uh, and then everyone at whole companies all. Uh, around aligned around it so we've got like you know i just had my l10 meetings so mo- mondays for me are like my marketing and sales l10 meetings and and it's like boom now i know where we're at like sure there'll be some conversations throughout the week but i know where the business stands and then if there's problems i gotta dig in but i don't really have to think about sales and marketing because i know the folks that are working in those in that part of the org they either have their shit together and they're hitting their numbers a- beating their numbers or they're not. And if they're not, then I got to dig into the business. So uh, EOS for me allows me to check in on everything um, without being inside of the business. And then not being inside the business as much allows me to have a life and sanity and time with kids and fun and all that stuff. So it opens up a lot of Life and sanity? What's that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah. I, uh, I, well, let's go. I want to ask you about that. So, um, you know, uh, you're you've obviously been been very successful, um, and you know, overcome the natural challenges that anybody faces when buying and building a, a business. Um, I, I know there's tough times. And there's like moments of success too. Uh, when there are those moments of success. How do you like to celebrate with your team? How do you like to celebrate the the little wins? And if there's a big win, what, if anything, do you like to do to celebrate with your team? So I think I'm a little weird in terms of celebration. I like to celebrate. Like, I don't celebrate really. I move on to the next goal. So how I personally celebrate is like, I'm already thinking three to four other things along the way. When I get to 70, 80% of something, I'm like, okay, is this in the bag at a certain window or time? And then I'm like, what else, What are we going to do next? And what are we going to do next? Now, I put on a really great face for my team and we celebrate together. It depends on what we do. We have a great quarter. You know, we're, we're, we're going to be doing... Uh, we, so first of all, our, our whole team is remote. We've got a 65 employees all around the world. So celebrating is really challenging. To do something together is really, really hard. Uh, and then what people think what people would get out of it, right? So I've got sales personalities. I've got like developers in Turkey. I've got developers in Pakistan and the UK, you know, Cleveland, Ohio. What they want to do for fun is very different, right? (laughs) You know, my CTO, if we bought him, if we bought him tickets to like his, you know, college football team uh, game, he'd love it. There is, I don't know, there's college football in Turkey, right? Like, I just don't know the, like the, the cultural things but what we do know is uh we want to encourage people to celebrate with their families and the people they love um because we can't celebrate with them time zones just doesn't make any sense right then we would have i'd be drinking at 6 a.m 
if I wanted to toast with my uh, developers, right? Um, or whatever, right? Um, awkward time zones and stuff. But so we love to like, hey, let's go take take your family out or your friends or whoever you want to celebrate with. We're going to buy you guys dinner, drinks, whatever. Go to your like that restaurant you want to go to. It's on us. And then the way we put it together is like, what we're really doing is we're giving somebody 200 bucks to go buy a nice meal. But mm. what we're doing to pull it all together is uh, we put, we have them like take a picture of themselves and like, you know, the, the wait staff will take a picture, photo of them and share it. What did you do? Why did you do it? And then we bring it back into like the conversation. And so like, you know, somebody went to like this restaurant that they've been wanting to go to, you know, forever, but they didn't, they were waiting for a special occasion or whatever. Right. So for, for me, I move on to the next challenge. So the team will reward them with like lunch, dinner, celebrations, stuff like that. Yeah. I love that idea though. Just giving people the um, freedom to do something that they're into, but I love, but I think it's really cool that you're, uh, you know, in conversation able to then have them take a picture, share that. So there's still that team camaraderie, but you're, not all forced into the same box. You can kind of do something that legitimately appeals to you. And you're right. Gosh, I had 65 people all around the world. Good luck trying to find one thing that everyone wants to do. <laughs> yeah. And there's not, and we have got all different personalities and, and folks, right? Like there's some folks like me. So my business partner and I, sometimes we'll go out to, uh, we'll go celebrate. You, typically when we sell a company, we'll go celebrate and have a dinner. Uh, when the, when the, when the money hits the accounts with, with our wives. Um, and then, yeah, other people just do, you know, whatever drinks at the bar or whatever. So one of the things that, uh, we hear today from a lot of people is, uh, post COVID, everybody's working from home 24 seven burnout, stress. Um, and as the owner, uh, you know, people always say like, Hey, shit rolls downhill. But I know a lot of owners that would tell you it's the exact opposite, you know? problems are always being, you know, pushed in their direction to solve and deal with. Um, and, and I find that a lot of owners don't necessarily take time to um, recharge and celebrate. And I've been so excited about getting you on this call because, or on this podcast, because you're, you're good at that. Um, so I want to ask you a couple questions about that. Have you always been good at it? And, um, and what are some fun things that you like to do just to, to, to recharge and, and kind of keep that balance that, that helps you maintain your energy and excitement, um, and all the, both as a dad and also at work. Yeah, no. So I think, um, I I think I've always enjoyed challenging myself personally, right? And, and I love speed, like hydrogen stuff. Uh, like, so <laughs> I grew up snowboarding and anything like extreme sports for some reason, um, excites me. And so I like the challenge, like most likely I will not be able to do X or it'll take me forever. Uh, I, part of it's like, I like learning. The other part of this is like, uh, it's just hard. And I like overcoming a, a challenge. And I think one of the things, uh, so Business is the same way, but instead of physically, it's mentally, right? And maybe there's a lot of physical aspect to it as well, but it's the same thing. And so it's almost like outside of my work life, I'm also doing the same thing to me Mm. as a human being. 
Um, now there's a lot more gratification. I love like racing motorcycles and cars and there's a lot of thrill and like excitement. And, you know, some people have a hard day or like, uh, like they, they like to kind of like rest stop or, you know, maybe they watch a movie and I, I like to like turn up the, the juice and I want to go, go for like a long back road drive or go to the racetrack. Uh, so I gain energy by expending energy. Um, and so I like, I love just pushing myself there. Now, um, when I start to push myself and learn new things, like this past year, I learned how to wing coil, which is freaking hard. Uh, Tell me about the hybrid. How, how so, you start on that? Like how, how, I mean, that, that looks so hard. Yeah. Uh, so it like wing board, wing foiling or wing foil. Wing foiling kind of came out of kiteboarding. So kiteboarding has been around for like 15, 20 years now, uh, maybe a little bit more. Um, and I try to do it and I, I like watched a YouTube video. I was like, it's easier to learn than kiteboarding. So I was like, oh yeah, I, I failed at learning that thing 10, 15 years ago. Let me try this. It's not easier. It's actually harder to learn apparently. Uh, but yeah, so it's a, you're on a hydrofoil, which is like a, think about those things where there's like, a, a long mast and then like a little wing on the bottom. And you, the goal is to be foiling above the, your board is kind of in the air and to, to propel yourself forward to using this like kite, like a, it's like a, it looks like a big, big, big kite, but it's the shape of a wing. So like mm -hmm. an airplane wing and it lifts you up essentially and it moves you forward based off where you point it. But yeah, essentially that's what that is. I just thought like I could probably learn that in a weekend. Right. Uh, or maybe like, Five ten hours of struggling. I mean, you guys do it, it and it looks it, lo it looks effortless, right? But it, to I, get I to effortless, know. yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. So uh, I'm 140 pounds. I burn about a thousand to 1200 calories an hour doing that sport because you've got your feet and core balancing yourself, and you've got your hands and back and shoulders holding the wing, and you have to fight the wind, right? So not fight it, but you're you have to use the wind, so you're pulling against air, right? And so, so, anyways, that's something I just learned, and it keeps me fresh and young. And so, like you know, like on the work end, we're looking into building something, and uh, we're building a new software company in the DevOps space um, and developer operations. And um, and there's a a problem we found that I knew nothing about until my CTO brought it up. But I know nothing about wing foiling either, right? But the parallels are you could know nothing and become proficient and understand something very quickly in business. Just the same way you could do it in a sport. Like if you don't know how to play pickleball, I'm sure you can just go to the pickleball court and go figure it out. Same thing happens in this new business we're building. It's a lot more details and learning and the path is less clear and then it's metaphorical learning, like meaning like, there's no milestone like you got good at pickleball. You can hit the ball back and forth. Maybe you could carry a conversation. I don't know. But the point is, uh, it, it's the same things. You're just learning in general um, allows you to kind of the, – the physical skill of learning something new, it, it allows you to do the same thing in business and, and, and stay young and relevant and whatever. You know? um, and, 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 I, and it's fun. It's fun. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, exactly. that's awesome. it's fun. Uh, I, uh, uh, yeah. I, I, so where do you where do you do that? Where can you do that? Uh, like on any 
lake or what, what do you need like certain conditions or how uh, how does that work um yeah lakes beaches are, beaches are the best uh you need wind above like 12 miles an hour at the minimum um ideally like 15 to 20 um yeah, yeah and then and then yeah it's i've it, it takes about 50 hours in the water to learn on the board the problem with learning that sport though is so I said in the water, on the board, right? So first of all, uh, sometimes you go out and there's not enough wind. And so like you, even though you went in the water, you did all these things, you gained no experience because you weren't on the board. Also, you fall a lot. And so off the board time doesn't count. You actually have to be on the board for 50 hours to really learn something. Otherwise, you're just learning to swim. And uh-huh. it's a good workout. So <laughs> I've spent probably... 250 hours, maybe 300 hours to try to get 50 hours of actual board time. And I think even, I don't think I'm at 50 hours yet. Uh, now when I'm on, when I'm wing falling and such, I'm like probably 80, 90% of the time spent on the board, actually like foiling. Uh, but most of the time it's like in the beginning, you're like zero, it's like 5% gratification, right? So think about, you know, like surfing, you're mostly that you're paddling 90% of the time and then you get on the wave for 10% of the time. This is like, you're like doing all the work for 99% of the time. And then, then you work your way up to like 10%. You eventually gets to 90%, but it's a very, very slow, like slog and, uh, and very low to no gratitude because it's just work. Uh, and, uh, what I love about it though, here's the thing. It's like flying. Um, you're literally, flying through the air uh and uh and the cool thing is you have so much concentrate for at least for me you're concentrating so much because you've got like what do i do with this thing in the air the wind's changing the direction's changing how do i turn and you got to translate that to your lower body and you know your wing so you're doing so much mental like work i can't think about how stressful my day was i just have to think <laughs> about like not falling and getting hit by this thing that's a big ass wing that's actually like a blade it's oh, wow. thin on the back of it because it's like a you know it's supposed to be aerodynamic. Uh, how did I not get hit in the head when it flips upside down, which it at some point will, right? So like it, it just requires so much concentration that like it, same with racing cars and motorcycles. Like I don't have time to think about how hard my day was. Like I'm just a hundred percent immersed <laughs> into whatever is happening. Um, yeah. And you know, I so I used to skydive. Here's a, here's a good example of like how this plays out in my professional life. Uh, I once, this is probably a jump, maybe like 30, 40, somewhere there. Uh, we're going up on the plane. This is like third or fourth time that day. And the engine blows. And so the plane goes from this going up, like, cause it does a steep climb. It's, it climbs like 18,000, 15 to 18,000 feet in like 10, 12 minutes. So it's going up and it's just going in circles all the way up. Right. Um, cause you want to land in the, there's a landing zone. So it's kind of going up and around like this. All of a sudden, it goes like this, right? And somebody yells, plane's going down. Everybody get the heck out. Um, you know, I think it was like maybe, I, and I was the last, I was in the mid, like I was in the back of the plane, oh, furthest away from the door, right? And yeah. I jumped out and we're at 25, maybe 3,000 feet in the air, which is very dangerous. You have, you have two parachutes, but only, at that low altitude, you have to hit the parachute has to work effectively. Um, but the way a parachute works is you're actually supposed to be 
uh, parachute opens in about a thousand feet when you're going at velocity. When you just jump out, you have no speed. And so the parachute actually takes almost 1,500 to 2,000 feet to open. So once it's done opening, then you can grab it and actually control it. So you have like 30 seconds to land this thing, maybe, right? If it works well. Um, so, so anyways, I landed it in some cow field. Uh, and we all just like randomly, some random place, almost get hit, like run over by a herd of cows, uh, which is another... That's another story of how to get off your equipment fast. But anyways, if you think failing, if you think failing is scary, it's not compared to what I physically just went through there. And yeah. fortunately, the pilot was able to crash land the plane, um, and and everyone survived and everything was fine. But like, like after going through that experience, nothing scares me. Maybe spiders. That's about it, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm not trying to overcome that fear, right? I'm just like keeping it logically uh, fear of spiders alive. But, uh, but like failing in business, when you can fail skydiving and be okay, what could you possibly, what could possibly happen failing in business? Like nothing matters. Like it's just like, oh, that's, that sucked. It, it, we failed. We had to like, I went back to, and I lost all my money. Okay. Well, you're still alive. You still landed this out of this plane. What are you going to do next? You still have to watch out for those cows, right? So like, I don't know. Um, to me, all those things really helped me make me a better entrepreneur because the fear of failing became irrelevant. Wow. Uh, you know, I didn't see that that coming, but in, in listening to you, um, I mean, it's, it's just complete. It makes complete sense because uh, I see... I see every day how people are so stressed out about so many little things. Right. And if you can bring to the table that sense of, Hey, you know, it's not really anywhere near as bad as it could have been or other things. Um, you can take all that energy and reinvest that in, in so much better ways than just sitting there stressed out, which I think a lot of people get stuck in that spiral of stress. Um, so one other thing that traps people that I'm curious how what your thought is on that, Susan. Um, a lot of people have trouble just giving themselves permission to go take a day, take an afternoon, take a week uh, to go, you know, do something for themselves. Um, and uh, and it's, it's just something that a lot of people struggle with. Um, ha have you ever struggled with that or how do you think about it that helps you? I mean, because part, maybe part of the answer you've already shared, which is, hey, it, it actually comes back and feeds my, you know, feeds me in a way that benefits my business too. So I don't view it as being totally unrelated, but, um, but still, like a lot of people struggle with that. How, how, how do you coach people to overcome that? Or, you know, have you just kind of, um, how have you overcome that? Yeah, no, I think, I think I see a lot of this. I find a lot of this stuff happens when you first get to scale, like maybe a few million in revenue. Um, um, and it varies depending on the type of business, right? Uh, if you're in the services business, it might be a few million. I think it's usually like one to two million, usually like one million. Uh, or maybe when you have like 20, 25 employees, uh, somewhere there. Um, in the SaaS world, you could do this. You can get to 
five million and 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 be at that same rate, just depending on what you charge and whatnot. But the point is somewhere around like 20, 30 employees, you realize like you're just doing a lot of work and uh, you're in the business a lot. And so the way I was able to do this was I did I made all the freaking mistakes in my first business. I had 20, 30 direct reports. The business literally I was miserable running it. It was just doing all the shit that like no one else could do, or it was really a thing that I couldn't hire for, right? Just like, and also all the things I was weak at, coincidentally, aka because I didn't know how to hire for them, right? So like accounting, um, which I shouldn't be doing any work in anything spreadsheets or anything finance. I should be, I could review P&L and what have you, but I can't, I shouldn't be putting in the inputs. That should be a professional, a CFO or, or someone, you know, who can kind of work their way around that stuff. But, um, um, uh, there was like payments, accounts payable, like chasing clients for money. Um, I was doing some operation stuff, some project management. And I'm like, these are all the things I really suck at doing. And, and I've ultimately I ended up selling the business at a fire sale and, and cause no one wanted to buy the business because I was, it was not sellable without me. It was not runnable without me. Um, so I ended up selling my business partner for a fire sale, but I, I was like, my next business, I never want to do those things ever again, right? Um, but yeah, how do I coach people to do that? Uh, like hire better, right? Um, yeah, hire better individual contributors, hire a solid management team, use some sort of management process. Like EOS is great. There's a lot of other formats, OKRs, whatever. Like have metrics assigned to stuff and uh, think about yourself as having zero individual contributor responsibility. As a CEO, if you're going to be the CEO of the business, your job is to move the business forward. Um, sometimes it's hiring a CEO. Um, and generally, you could find the, mis- the, the, the easiest way to find that you're not doing this is, are you doing things you're good at or things you're not good at? If you're doing the things you're good at, typically you're in the right role. If you're doing things like accounting, there are people, doesn't matter how good you are at accounting, there are people you can hire to buy back your time. Uh, and that's actually like uh, another thing I've done is I, I've done is like last six to 12 months, actually about last April, I did this where I did like a time audit and I just looked in 15 to 30 minute increments of my day every day for like two weeks. And I was like, what am I doing? Category, like marketing, sales. Yeah man hr am i doing hr i shouldn't be doing hr right like or maybe i should be doing hr or maybe whatever anyway so i did that 15 to 30 minute increments um and then i went back through at the end of each day and i highlighted in red what i hate doing like what gate what 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 was so annoying what i regretted what took away energy um and i highlighted in green what gave me energy so sales and marketing gives me a lot of energy i like seeing those numbers come in right and it wasn't like the things that we're doing was like that of a chief revenue officer. Okay, high leverage, probably don't need enough of that time. And then I looked at thematically marketing, sales, accounting, bookkeeping, HR, whatever, and I put them into buckets. Um, I was like, oh, I'm spending you know 50% of my time in paying my contractors and employees, and it was HR payments. Okay, uh, how do I hire somebody? Who do I hire? Do not do that ever again, right? Um, <laughs> right, and, and like, and so it was like a fractional 
accounts payable person and like a fin- like a finance person that like just needed to take all this stuff off of my plate because first of all I wasn't doing a great job right and um and the and it was just clouding my inbox but anyways it was like literally that and now you know fast forward a year I spend about three hours two to three hours a day in the business max um, that is like keeping the things going, looking at how it's performing, making improvements, solving a problem with an employee that's hitting, failing to hit a goal or a team, whatever, right? On the business, how can we make, how can we add more value to Mailshake or how do we grow Zoom shift beyond this, that, the other, meeting XYZ persons or people that can help me level up or like pick their brain on X, right? That's outside of the business. Uh, you know, I spend a couple hours a day doing that, but really I could literally twiddle my thumbs for the whole day outside of those two, three hours and the business would perform. Now I could also work my ass off in the business in a role and I could probably positively contribute to the business in some way, but it, the amount of value I would add versus a professional doing that would be very low, right? So like I could pay everyone's freaking I could run payroll and pay everyone's bill manually, or I could go hire somebody. It would probably take me the rest of that day to go pay people and hit the, like we use bill.com, hit the payments and make sure it's all good. Or I could go hire somebody and then think about how to grow the business and add value. Now, high leverage, right? I've got unique perspective, lots of years experience, low leverage. And so I just focus on high leverage things. And I think that people never get away from this, like in the business to switch to on the business. And they, and at some point, the longer it goes on, in my opinion, the further, um, the harder it becomes and the further you actually get away from that goal, because no one ever teaches you how to be an entrepreneur or CEO. Like there's no course for that. And if there's a course for it, it's probably snake oil, (laughs) not so much real, or it's not always applicable, but like, there's no like, oh, here's how to be an effective CEO. You usually get that from like talking to other CEOs and entrepreneurs. But if you don't have the time to do that, then it's this like chicken and egg thing. So two big things. Uh, you, you look at time in the business versus out of the business, as you just described. And also you look at, hey, where am I spending my time? Is it on stuff that brings me energy or stuff that just feels like a drain? Um, and and the obvious answer there being, if you're doing a bunch of stuff that's just kind of draining, that somebody else can do better, hire that person. It'll free you up to do things that you're passionate about, that you're going to do better at, where you can leverage your own actual superpowers instead of just jamming more stuff into the day, which is what I think burns people out when you're doing. I, I've never heard of anybody getting burned out who is doing purely the stuff they love to do. Right? Yeah, exactly. And it, it, the people that are burned out and you really ask them to do a time audit. And my guess is, Sujin, that they're probably doing a lot of stuff that isn't that fun. Yeah. And, and the, the most, the single biggest excuse I hear when people say, I tell them this of like, oh, you should go do a time audit or, and like, go think about the highlight in red what you don't like doing <laughs> and then go hire somebody for that. Right. In the highest, whatever you spend the most time on in whatever category, just go one time. Get that, like, I find that if you get the, like, little instant gratification or, like, a little bit of a quick reward, you're more likely to go get the reds and the yellows and, like, work yourself out of the business more. Um, 
But most people are like, I can't afford to hire that person. And my answer is charge more. Like, like this, it's a very simple answer. If you cannot afford to hire that person, you're doing it wrong. What are you, why are you so, usually it's charge more or, oh, I have, to, I have an overhead. Oh, I like you have, or you should have fired somebody because they should have been doing that job, right? You're like compensating for someone that's not doing their job or a team that's not doing the way they want it to be done. Like the onus is on you because you're failing to run the business effectively because you didn't fire somebody. You didn't tell somebody to change your expectations. You didn't maybe promote somebody. But the fact that you can't hire somebody, that's on you. Um, you can afford it, trust me. Uh, and then sometimes I'm like, if, I, if you took a 50K pay cut, could you afford to hire somebody? How much would you miss 50K versus like not doing this, right? And then how much money could you make by doing that, getting out of there and then like thinking about ways to grow your business? I love that. And it's and I, it, I get that it's not always easy, but I think it starts with having that self-awareness. And so that's where I think everybody who's listening to this, you know, my challenge to you is uh, think about your coming week. And try to like just divide everything into two categories, stuff that energizes you, stuff that drains you. Um, and how much time are you spending in the business versus on it, you know, from the outside? Um, and I, I think that if you can measure that and get those data points, that's a great starting point. And, and sometimes that alone may cause you to go, oh, man, wow, I didn't realize this or that. Um, so, yeah, that's awesome. Um Question for you, Sujin. One of the uh, things in business that, uh, you know, sometimes it's important to experiment um, and you want to be able to have a culture where people feel comfortable taking a risk. On the other hand, you need accountability. You got to have results, right? How do you go about balancing those two things that can sometimes feel like opposites? I mean, how do you create that that permission to fail, but, but also I'm sure, you, you know, you also need to take a stand for bottom line? Um, I don't know if I have like a formula for it, but I'm always on the riskier side. Like whatever, like whatever, like I'm okay taking risk. Like when I know that my business is in healthy shape, um, my risk tolerance is very high. Right. And so I, I think that I always optimize for maximum options. And so as long I, and then like, I always still think about what would I regret doing what would I regret more doing X or not doing X? Like what would I regret more in six to 12 months? And when I think about like that, that same thing or risk factor that way, it generally is like, yeah, what the hell am I asking this question for? Let's just go do it. Right. Uh, <laughs> I think a lot, a lot of times it's analysis paralysis. I mean, I, I feel like that with most people that should I do this? Should I launch this business? Like, like I've got this, uh, you know, this, DevOps idea, like, well, I didn't come up with it. Our CTO did. And, you know, we're like, well, we should totally do this. Let's go do all the work. And I was like, wait, hold on. It's bad economy. Um, you know, budget, our budget is tight. If we were to both, let's say we were to put $2,000 a year from our, one of our businesses into this idea in 12 months, would we regret that spending $200,000 or would we regret not pursuing this idea? when it's ready to go and when maybe the economy is not bad, um, you know, and, and it's like, Oh yeah. Like, let's just go do this. And then the answer was like, I don't have enough information to make that decision. And then it was like, who do we, 
how do we validate this product is good enough? Or like, there's, this is an actual problem. And so it was like, okay, well, we're going to go do it all the way until we actually have to spend money on it. Product validation. And you know what? Is this an idea that if we didn't do this tomorrow, would someone else be used to the punch? Probably not. So this is now like, we can do this whenever we're ready, right? Um, and so the answer wasn't, oh, I would miss my $200,000. It was, oh, we should, we could do all these things for free to validate this idea. And mm. that will tell us if this is worth the $200,000 or not. Interesting. So being able to, am I hearing you right? Then kind of let's, you know, not letting yourself get held back by the, you know, hey, yeah, if we get to that point, it's going to cost 200, but let's be resourceful and figure out what we can do now that doesn't cost us anything that'll help us get that validation or not. If we get that validation, then it's a slam dunk. Let's definitely invest that, right? Um, but can we do some things today to move us closer to that to figure out whether that's even worth doing? Yeah, exactly. That? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and um, stop analyzing. Like, go do things to make the decision easier, right? I think that like looking at the problem seventeen different ways um, yeah. is generally the, the, the sometimes you just got to make a yeah. call, right? Yeah, and the studies have shown that like generally seasoned people are. The, like the gut reaction is really from an unexplained subconscious hmm. uh, from that comes from experience. Mean, meaning, like if your gut tells you to do that, it's generally because like you you it's not because you ate something weird. It's that like you can't explain all the little nuggets of information unsorted in your brain that tell you something, right? So that's why like I would go with your gut in this type of situation. Um, I'll, I'll tell you from personal experience, I, um, uh, some of my biggest mistakes have ever come from not listening to my gut. And, uh, actually my life got saved by listening to my gut. I was in, uh, New York city, flew in the day before nine 11 and had a meeting at the top of the tower that was hit the next morning. And I just had this gut feeling of, I, I don't want to be there. I don't want to go. And I flew in from Japan, got put in a five-star hotel company paid thousands of dollars for me to attend this meeting. And for no explicable reason, I'm like, I just don't, don't feel like going. And, uh, I, I, I best thing I can equate it to is it, it almost felt like I was being lazy, but that's not quite the right word. But I, I just had this feeling of, I don't want to go. And thank God I listened. I, I lost some, some good friends and colleagues that, that next day. And, uh, but it opened my eyes to the power of, of, of that gut. And, um, and even later on in different deals, they're like, you know, uh, things where I was kind of having a, a feeling that, that I didn't listen to. And I look back and I'm like, oh, almost every time I, I should have listened to that, um, power, power of that gut feeling, even if you can't explain yeah. it. Absolutely. Um, well, I want, I want to, uh, wrap up our call, our, our podcast today by, uh, asking a question about giving. Um, and, uh, and, and just from the standpoint that, you know, again, like I think our culture today is so, there's so much angst and judgment and, and, uh, you know, focus on the, the bad that, um, man, I think, I feel like we need to be, um, a little more attuned to the, the wins. And, you know, like you were sharing earlier, like, 
hey, you know, if we're if 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 we're just cash flowing along the way, like I appreciate that. I see value in that, you know, and and that appreciation can um, lead in business or I think even in our personal lives to 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 huge things. Uh, but we we overlook that sometimes when we're in our head and and busy judging and worrying about everything out there. Um, and so I and you know giving a gift to somebody um big or small can can sometimes um break that cycle and uh always interested in hearing how how people give because it's very very different so i i and, and you you've had some really unique perspectives to share today um how, share with us if you would is there a a time where where you received a gift that really really kind of stood out as being like wow that was meaningful and then you know maybe what what would be one of the better gifts that that you've ever given somebody? Yeah, I think the biggest gift uh, I've received was uh, I was talking to you know when I was starting my when I was trying to start the software endeavor and ventures, I was trying to validate the idea and and you know asking about it ten thousand different ways, different ways, and and one I was one of the like twenty thirty people I talked to was like. Um, just go do it. Like, what's what? What are you trying to? What answer would make? What would someone tell you to any of your questions that would tell you not to do something? Right? Like, even if you said like, because I was getting a little bit defensive or whatever. So like, it's just like permission. Go do it. What's the worst that can happen? It will not work out. Right? It will fail, and then you will learn. You'll be better off from that lesson. Um, and you know what you fail fa- if it's a really bad idea, you'll fail really fast or really painfully. And, or like, you know, you're not going to die from this failure. Um, you know, cause I was running my agency at the time. So you have your other business, like you're not going to like, it's not going to go away. Uh, you might do a bad job running it, but anyway, so it was, there was, there was, you know, just permission to go do it. Um, thing I've given others, um, uh, I what? try to be. Uh, I was going to say, I mean, that, that's powerful. I mean, just yeah. being able, to, you know, um, how cool that that person uh, approached it so differently, you know, because I'm sure you, after that conversation, it was just like, bing, okay, you're right. I need to just go do it and, um, and, and help break out of that cycle of just endless questions, right? Yeah, exactly. I think the. Um, how unique. I've I think. Heard, I've, never heard anybody share something like that but it's I, I i totally get why that was so powerful um so yeah th- thank you for sharing that that's that's pretty cool yeah exactly thank you uh and yeah like and i i try to you know i my goal when i talk to folks like what i what i give is is just i i try to help folks be experts uh or like get better what they what problems they're trying to solve with. So biggest things I do is connections, right? So I, I probably spend, you know, I, I went I leaned into Never Eat Alone about nine, ten years ago. And, you know, I probably spend one to two hours a day connecting with somebody that I don't know well. Um either a phone call, Zoom call, in person coffee, lunch, dinner, whatever. Um usually it's like two to three new people a week at the very least. And so it's just like building up this like mental Rolodex of connecting people. And I don't go out there like, how can I connect people and like try to be a professional networker? 
but it's more of like this person has this problem. I've got to know somebody here that knows this, or maybe I felt experience with it. So it's like just kind of having somebody I can point someone else to, to, uh, to solve X problem. Wow. I, I, uh, what, what, um, can you give a couple examples of, I mean, cause you've got such an interesting background in the SaaS space and I imagine you've talked to a lot of different people. What are a couple examples of, of, you know, two or three types of people that you have recently talked to for the first time or kind of new perspectives or, or people that might be coming up in your schedule in the next week or two that um, are outside your normal, but, but fit squarely in that, that have that practice. Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, this week I'm talking to somebody who does something similar to this, to what I do in the SaaS world, in the e-commerce world. Uh, and we're, we're going to go paddleboarding. Like we're just doing some fun together. I find like doing fun activities like that is a better way to get to know someone than that's like oh. going for coffee. Um, oh. um, so I'm, I'm, I'm meeting also someone uh, who's doing what I do at a larger scale. Uh, a friend of mine, Sam Parr, uh, Hampton, you know, sold his best business to HubSpot. I forgot the name of the business. Uh, but He's, he's, he knows a guy named Andrew Wilkinson who runs Tiny Capital. They're like pretty much what, what we do, but like, you know, far greater, uh, size. Um, and they're now public. And so he, he's set up a dinner for us to, to hang, you know, to chat. And so like Andrew's one of those guys that have secretly like read all this stuff, like listened to all the podcasts, admired from a distance and, 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 uh, you know, it all came together and it, it was like, I just got the invite. It just landed on my lap. But yeah, so stuff like that. And, and again, like uh, I do things uh, like this uh, every week. So there's always something going on. Tonight I'm meeting with uh, a group of founders in, in all like tech businesses. Like so DTC is SaaS. Um, it's a monthly kind of, not necessarily meetup, but monthly dinner that I get invited to. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's stuff like that that I am... I'm, uh, I'm, I'm meeting and, and, and doing to connect with other folks. And then, you know, they're like, Hey, what can I do to help? Right. Who do I know that can help with whatever problems? Sujin, thank you so much for making time to share today to let me ping you with questions. Uh, I really feel that, you know, for everybody listening to the podcasts, um, you've added a lot of unique perspectives, but yet in a, in an actionable way, I feel like even in my own, business, you've given me a couple of good questions that I'm now curious to, to, to quantify more and get more clear mm-hmm. about. So thank you so much for, for making time. And uh, uh, it's been, been an amazing uh, conversation. And, and I hope everybody listening got, got as much out of it as I did. Yeah, thanks for having me. That, that was a lot of fun. And uh, I'm glad we got to go deeper. Thank you for listening to the Celebrate Like a CEO podcast. If you are a successful business owner or CEO and want to be a guest on our show, be sure and reach out by sending me an email to stefan at whitwell.net and put celebrate in the subject line. We'd love to hear your story. If you like what you hear, please don't forget to share, subscribe, and leave a review. Be sure to tune in every Monday morning for a new episode. And remember, Celebration is the key to success without burnout.